Would you join me for prayer? Heavenly Father, as we pause to read this, your holy word, and hear once again the call you gave to Jeremiah, your prophet, we ask that you would give us new meaning as we read this passage this day. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. Hear now, to the, hear now the word of the Lord as it comes from Jeremiah, the first chapter, verses 4 through 10. You may find it on page 796 in your pew Bible. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Paul. Did you catch Jeremiah's excuse for not following God's call? We, we find it in verse 6. Let me, let me read that to you just again. Then I said, Jeremiah, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Most scholars believe that Jeremiah was probably in his late teens when God called him to to preach to the people of Judah. Can you imagine in 686 or 626 BC, excuse me, 626 BC, how the people of Israel, particularly the adults, the, the adult men of Judah would receive a teenager telling them that they needed to repent from their sin? Jeremiah knew that probably wasn't gonna go well. I don't know that we would wanna hear what Jeremiah had to say to the people of Judah. And so Jeremiah says, I I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Jeremiah, as a teenager, is wise enough to know that most of the adults are not going to want to hear from a teenager. So why do you think God calls Jeremiah at such a young age to become a, a prophet of God? Well, if you'll remember, in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 19, it may be found on page 1047 of your Red Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 19, there's a scene where many parents are trying to bring their children to Jesus because they want Jesus to lay his hands on the children and to bless them. And, and well, as the uh, uh, disciples see these parents doing this, they try to shoo the children away saying, Jesus doesn't have time for little children. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 14, on page 1047 of your Red Pew Bible, Jesus says this, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loved little children. 
In fact, he uses a child as an object lesson. And earlier in Matthew chapter 18, his disciples were coming to Jesus and they're asking him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, and it's on page 1046 of your Red Pew Bible, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loves little children because children are humble, they're, they're teachable, and he knows that in order for us to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to be humble, we have to be teachable. I remember, because uh, our God, our children, God can use our children to teach us so, so much. I remember when we were still in Dallas, uh, we had bought a minivan, it's our minivan we still have, but it was new to us at the time, <clears throat> and it was, you know, the blue minivan we drive around. Well, I was backing the minivan out of the parking lot uh, at a busy restaurant in Dallas, and as I was doing so, I, I felt a jolt. I was like, ooh, I think I just hit something. Not good. Sarah's new minivan. So I put it in park and ran out to the backside, and there it was. There was a dent I had just put in her bumper. I was like, oh, no. And so I ran to the front and said, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I just can't believe this. There was a, a metal pole that was low-lying but was there to protect a gas meter, and somehow I had bumped it. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetie. I'm so sorry. And I was angry at myself and fuming and... And uh, Sarah said, oh, as always, she's very gracious. She said, oh, it's okay. You know, ac- accidents happen. We all make mistakes. And I said, no, but I shouldn't have hit that pole. And, and then my daughter Elizabeth, who's, who's four years old at the time, speaks up and says, yeah, Daddy, it's okay. Accidents happen. I bump into things all the time. <laughs> and then I was cut to the heart because I remember just earlier that week, I had lectured her about the importance of being more careful because she was bumping into things all the time around the house. I had offered my daughter a lecture she offered me grace. We can learn a lot from our children. As we continue our sermon series on the core four strategy of our church, you can see them in the banners there, worship, grow, serve, and connect. Today we're going to talk about grow and how we can grow in Christ. And our primary strategy for growing in Christ is, is actually through intergenerational ministry. As we have gotten involved with Fuller Seminary's Youth Institute, uh, they did this nationwide study to find out, you know, what does it take to have a faith that sticks, that children would leave high school, great youth groups, and they would stay in church and college or at least come back to church after college? What are the keys? And they found there were two primary keys. Number one, intergenerational worship. What we're doing right now, sitting shoulder to shoulder with our children as we worship God, training them how to, to worship God. The second key was intergenerational relationships. Making sure that our children have at least five significant relationships with other adults in the church, not just their parents, not just a paid youth leader, but, but someone in their life who, who's pouring into them, whether it be a Sunday school teacher or, or just someone who's, who's praying for them. And so we want to be a church that, that is giving our children a faith that sticks so that when our young people leave this church, you know, they grow up and maybe they go off to college or they leave Amarillo, that they'll have a faith that sticks and they'll lead them to continue to, to be a part of, of God's kingdom work. Did you know that in the United States, most Christians make a commitment to follow Jesus before the age of 12. George Barna, the church statistician, discovered that the probability of someone making a heartfelt commitment to follow Jesus between the age of 5 to 12, the probability of that happening in the United States for a, someone aged 5 to 12 is 32%. When they become 13 to 18, that probability falls all the way down to 4%. If our children don't make a commitment to follow Jesus at an early age, it probably won't happen, statistically speaking. 
And so that's why we're so diligent to make sure that we're doing parenting in the pew. And if you haven't picked up this book, parents, uh, we offered them yes, uh, last Sunday for you to get a free uh, copy of this. It's a great book. And, and uh, Mike Land has extra copies if you need one. You can talk to her after the service. Parenting in the pew is not simply about having your child sit still and, and be quiet during the worship service. Parenting in the pew is about training our children how to worship God with us teaching them to sing when we sing, teaching them to pray when we pray, teaching them to listen to God's word as we read it and proclaim it together. Yes, we have to be diligent in helping pass our faith onto our children. In fact, we actually have some, some sheets that we use to help train our children uh, to listen well. I understand not every child is always paying attention to the sermon. Don't worry, I used to do that too as a kid. We give these sheets here that we encourage children to say, what did you hear? Color what you heard. Or what will you do with what you've learned? And, and if you color and fill this out and, and you have something that's relevant to what was preached on Sunday, then we'll, we'll try and post it so people can see how God is speaking through you through the message. And, and we can learn from you as you write down what you hear and how we might apply what you're learning. We also have here some worship notes that children can fill out. We want to teach our children how to listen well. Listen well to, to God's word. Listen well to to what God is saying through the scriptures that are preached and the message that is given. Now, I'm always impressed with my own children, to be honest, how much they pick up in these sermons. I, I ask them every Sunday, what did you hear in the sermon? Or, or what did you learn in Sunday school? And of course, they know I'm going to ask the question because I'm the pastor, right? So they're like, oh, well, so-and-so, and I learned this, and, which is great. We have to be coaching our children how to listen well. We need to teach them how to worship now, we recognize that every child learns differently, and, and some children, you know, when they're in preschool, they may not be quite ready for corporate worship. In fact, we have, in our uh, nursery, we've got a opportunity for preschoolers to go and have a preschool form of worship uh, where that's more age-focused and maybe a little more age-appropriate. But if your child's paying attention to worship, we'd love to have them. But if they're not, if they tend to get easily distracted, we've got a, a place for a, a preschooler to go. But by the age of five, you know, as they get to close to kindergarten or first grade, certainly, they're willing, they're able to, to sit still, to listen to God's word, to reflect and color what it is they hear God saying to them. And I want you to know as uh, parents, if you decide you just want your child to listen maybe to the first part of a service and then during the sermon, you know, they're getting too rowdy and you want to take them out to go to the nursery, I won't be offended. I was a rowdy kid too, right? So I totally get it. In fact, I remember as a kid and growing up at First Pres Midland, we had these really comfortable pew cushions. And about the time the sermon would start, I'd always get kind of tired. I'd lie down and rest. And my dad would have to pull me up and wake me up because I kind of snored as a kid. That wasn't good. And so I figure if your kid falls asleep while I'm preaching, I'm just being punished for past sins and uh, <laughs> past, past failures. More than anything, though, we want our children to know that they're welcomed in worship. We want them to know that there's a place for him here. And then we want to teach them as we go through worship, not just to be still or to be quiet, but to worship with us, to participate in what God is doing as we gather together. Yes, as followers of Jesus, I know that the best thing we can do for our children is to point them to Jesus, to train them how to worship God well, to, to know that they are loved by our loving Father in heaven, to see how we can help foster a lasting faith in our children and grandchildren. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. It may be found on page 1091 of your Red Pew Bible. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you're the God who welcomes children to come to you, to learn from you, that you love little children, Lord, and we do too. And so, God, I pray that as we seek to raise our children in the way they should go, 
so that when they're older, they'll not soon part from us, that you might guide us now as we read your word. We thank you that Luke, inspired by your spirit, put pen to paper so that we might have your holy inspired word today. Help us to hear from you. Help us to know what you would have us do. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter two, beginning with verse 41. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying. He spoke to them. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Mary and Joseph were excellent parents. They were excellent parents, we know, because every year they made the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And most faithful Jews would go around Samaria, which would make it a 70-mile journey, a journey that by foot would take three to four days to make. And despite the distance, every year they took their son Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, I know that we can look at verse 43 and 45, and we can think, ah, yeah, but they were pretty irresponsible. I mean, they lost Jesus, the Son of God, right? I mean, who does that, right? Now, to be fair to them, they were traveling with a large group of people from Nazareth. They were known to be robbers along the road from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and so they would often travel in large groups with their family and their neighbors and other acquaintances to make their way because there's safety in numbers, and they knew they wouldn't be robbed along the road if they traveled in large numbers. And so probably what happened is they got to Jerusalem, and it was time to go back home, and Jesus was probably with them when they started, and they assumed that 12-year-old Jesus was probably hanging out with 13-year-old John the Baptist or something, who knows? They were just all friends together, hanging out, and, and as they made their way, they didn't realize until they'd gotten further down the road, probably around bedtime, that, well, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought, uh, you know how that probably went, right? Now, regardless of how it happened, have you ever lost a child? You don't have to raise your hand on that one. Uh, just maybe internally. Yes, Mary, thank you. I have too, to be honest. Yeah, we, we were at a ski resort. We were in uh, uh, Angel Fire not long ago. This is about a year ago. And we were skiing, and 
Our little son, John, decided that instead of skiing right away, he wanted to get some hot cocoa. And so to be accommodating, we bought him some hot cocoa. And and he he got his cup of cocoa, and Sarah said, you know, can you find a table for us? Well, he scurried away, and Sarah finished paying, and then she couldn't find John. So she began to look and looked at one table after the next and one booth after the next. Fifteen minutes, she looked in this what seemed like a small restaurant. She couldn't find John. We began to panic. Wonder what happened to John? We jumped to the worst case scenarios. Someone has kidnapped our son, John. This is horrible. We started yelling, John, John. No reply. Mary and Joseph, they've been without Jesus for three days. Can you imagine how anxious they must have felt? They've been given a miraculous child, born of a virgin, the son of God, and they lost him. How could this happen? I mean, they're probably worried not only about their own uh, consequences, but what's God going to do? I mean, they're very worried. So when Mary finally, after three days' journey, they finally make their way to the temple. Notice that it took them three days to finally get to the temple. And Mary sees them and says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Reminds me when Sarah finally found John about 30 minutes later. um, And John, of course, did not know he was lost. He was just sitting at a booth drinking hot cocoa. It was kind of in the corner there, in the back corner, and she missed him the first time go around. She hugged him and squeezed him. Where have you been? I've been worried all over looking for you. John knew he was loved, but he also knew that he shouldn't wander away from his mom again. Now imagine Jesus, how he must have felt. And imagine Mary and Joseph when he gives this amazing response. Jesus looks in the eyes and says, Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Why didn't Mary and Joseph go to the temple first when they got to Jerusalem? Why did it take them so long? Didn't they know that that's where the children should be, in the temple, learning about God's love? Jesus was giving some amazing answers. He was able to ask these sharp questions to the Torah, the experts of the law in the temple. And they didn't marvel at his wisdom. They were worried about his presence. And yet that's exactly where he was supposed to be, in the temple. Isn't that where every child should be? In the temple. You know, growing up in Midland, Texas, I had several friends uh, who were kind of Christmas, Easter only Christians. They kind of went to church on the holidays like Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, Mother's Day, and Christmas Eve. And for the most part, they didn't have to go any other time of year. It reminded me of the story of the uh, congregant who many years ago was shaking a pastor's hand after the end of the Easter service, and he told the pastor, he said, hey, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but every time I'm here, you're either talking about a baby being born or a guy rising from the dead. You might want to get some new material. Of course, the pastor smiled and said, well, if you come more than twice a year, you might actually hear more what the Bible has to say. My parents were not Christmas, Easter only Christians. No, they made sure that we were in worship Every Sunday, in fact, my dad was the head usher for many years. We had to go. And we didn't just have to go to worship. We had to go to Sunday school every Sunday morning. I remember one time, one of my good friends invited me to spend the night on a Saturday night, and he wasn't going to have to go to church. And I was about 12 years old, about the age Jesus was when he began to reason with the leaders of the temple. And so I thought, well, I'll reason with my mom on this. And so I said, well, mom, you know, my buddy didn't have to go to, to worship. Uh, can't we just sleep in? I mean, I've been to church so much. I know every story. I'm not learning anything new, mom. My mom looked at me very quickly and said, Howard, you don't think I know every story? I was raised Baptist. I had to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. We had to do sword drills, memorize scripture. And as she went on this long litany of all the Baptists had to do, in that moment, I said, thank you, God, I'm Presbyterian. (laughs) Of course, our brothers and sisters across the street 
they have a good idea. We need to have our children in worship. But we also know that discipleship doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings and it doesn't just happen on Wednesday evenings, does it? We need to invite them there, but the truth is discipleship, raising our children in the faith, is a daily process. Many people often say that faith is caught more than it's taught. That children are going to learn how to pray when we lead them in a prayer at dinner time or before a meal. That children are going to learn how to forgive when we offer forgiveness and grace to them when they have sinned. Children are going to learn how to, what it means to confess our sins when we're willing to confess when we've made an error or we've hurt them. Faith is caught more than it's taught. And as we know from the Bible, the most important commandment in all the Bible, according to Jesus in Matthew 22, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. As Presbyterians, we love to, to celebrate the life of the mind. We, we know that God wants us to grow in the knowledge of his great love for us. That's why we have a, a dedicated Sunday school hour from 945 to 1045. Many churches that even I've been a part of previously, they'll have a, a worship service during that Sunday school hour so that people can just have church in one hour. We're not that kind of church. We're a high commitment church. We ask you to come for two hours. We said, we want you to be here for Sunday school and we want you to be here for worship. So if you go to 8.30, we're going to ask you to stay one more hour so that you can be in Sunday school, so that you can learn more about how much God loves you and we can share in fellowship and learn from each other. Or if you're an 11 o'clock person, obviously you are here in the sanctuary, we'd ask you to come an hour earlier to spend time. And and I don't care what age or stage you're in, we have a Sunday school class for everybody. If you just want a men's Bible study, we actually have a men's group that meets in the conference room right by my office that Murray leads. If you want a women's Sunday school class, Sherry Lovato leads one on the second floor. If you want a a co-ed class that's pretty broad in age and stage, we have a a, a sizable class in the parlor that Dan Carter and Orlando Lopez lead. We've got another class in the fall and spring, Kaleidoscope, that uh, Mary and David Mullen, along with Jay O'Brien, help lead. Great classes where you can learn God's word. If you're single and looking for some young adults, others, young young folks to to gather with, we've got the Gap Group, uh, Grace Always Prevails. They meet in the basement in the old Westminster room. If you're, if you're married and you've got children in school, Will Esler teaches an excellent class in 304. I was up there this morning, about 30 people there. It's a great class. The idea of Sunday school is not simply just to be taught or spoken to, but, but to learn together, to, to share in fellowship, to hear from one another what God is saying through his holy, inspired word. And of course, the group that needs Sunday school more than any other is our children. With Debbie Lauer and Michael Ann, we have some excellent Sunday school programs offered for our children through the kids ministry of our church and if you'd like to get involved in that you can talk to them they would love to have you as a volunteer to help great teachers like scott gilmore and denise carter or help and teach i know yvonne murphy helps as well great classes where our children can learn the word of god and under the leadership of kim talley and and uh, jake schroeder and anna mckay we we now have some great uh, sunday school offerings for our, our middle school and, and high school where they're small group based and we're able to get together and gather around god's word Are your children in Sunday school? Are your grandchildren in Sunday school? Are they gaining the full benefit of what God does here on Sunday mornings? Are you gaining the benefit? Are you like me and think, well, gosh, I've been to Sunday school. I already know all the Bible has to say. Really? And if you do, well, maybe you ought to be teaching somebody, sharing God's word with others. Because our young people won't know unless we tell them. And that's how they grow. Notice in our text in Luke that we read in Luke chapter Two, it says that in verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
The New American Standard version of the Bible translates more literally, um, verse 43, uh, as they were returning after spending the full number of days. The Passover celebration was a seven-day celebration. The feast was only two days. A lot of Jews would just come for the two-day celebration, but Mary and Joseph stayed for the full seven days because they wanted their son Jesus to gain the full benefit of all that the temple had to offer that week, to celebrate with them, to grow in the knowledge of God's amazing love. It seems like a shame to me to, to come to church, get all ready for just one hour of worship when there's two hours of discipleship that are offered every Sunday. Worship and Sunday school. When was the last time you went to Sunday school? When was the last time you invited a friend to join you at Sunday school? Because we all need the fellowship and the interactive teaching that Sunday school provides. And our our children, well, they need it the most. As a church, we're committed to raising up the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. We know this happens best through intergenerational worship and intergenerational ministry. Here are some, just a few of the ways that you can get involved in intergenerational ministry. We have a children's Sunday school program that if you'd like to volunteer with, we'd love to have you. If you can't do that every Sunday, well, we have Vacation Bible School the first week of June. That's a great opportunity to serve, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Out in the Great Hall, we actually have these little crosses. We uh, offered them last Sunday. There's still some left over. You can go to the Great Hall and take one of these. It's got the name of a child on here and their age. I've got Luke Worsham's. I'll be praying for you, Luke, for the next year. Uh, Luke, and so you can take that and pray for a child. Uh, I, Lulu Cowan is praying for my son, John. Uh, she recently, he recently got a note from her, and that thrilled him to get a note from one of the members of our church. If you'd like to get involved in our high school or middle school ministry, we're looking for mentors. We'd love to have you. You can talk to Kim Talley about that. You can join us on October 22nd. We're going to have a church-wide pumpkin roundup, intergenerational. We're all going to be together, fellowshipping together at the Gilmore Ranch. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Or you can join us on the all-church retreat. It's the first weekend of May. Uh, We were so blessed last year that we had 154 members of our church there celebrating, fellowshipping, getting to know one another, learning from each other. You see, many churches offer kids' church, and I know that's well-intended. The idea is that while a child is in elementary school, they can have their church and the adults will have their own worship service. But the problem with kids' church and even youth group is that if your child only goes to kids' church and they only go to youth group, then when they get to college and actually get out of college, they're not going to find kids' church and they're not going to find youth group. But if your child is raised beginning at the age of five through their whole lives and what it means to worship God together as a part of a family of faith, and they have five significant relationships with adults in this church, not just their parents, Not just a paid staff leader, but but other lay leaders, those that you would meet in Sunday school. Then the church begins to feel a lot more like a family. If all you do is go to kids' programs and youth programs, well, it's easy to abandon a program. But if you're involved in intergenerational ministry, church feels like a family. And it's hard to leave a family. That's why we're committed to making sure that our church is, is like a family where every generation is learning from one another, fellowshipping together, pouring into one another's lives. I know that I'm here because of God's grace and God's call and because of my parents were committed to taking me to worship every Sunday. If worship is important to you, it will become important to your children over time. But I also know that I'm here because, because of faithful lay leaders like Jerry Gard, Frank Cahoon, Susie Boldrick, Lee House, 
Larry Bell. Men and a woman of God who faithfully taught my Sunday school, who, who poured into me, who heard me preach on that first senior Sunday when, as at my first sermon. They came up, they're very encouraging to me. I knew that I was loved, loved by this family of faith. I don't remember the details of every sermon that I heard at the First Presbyterian Church in Midland. I don't remember the details of every Sunday school class that I heard at the First Presbyterian Church in Midland. But I do know this, every time I walked into that building, I grew in the knowledge of God's love for us. God's love for me. If there's one message that our children need to hear today in the midst of the, the bullying that's taken place and in the midst of the verbal abuse and in the midst of the teen suicide rate that continues to increase and the drug use that continues to increase, if there's one message our children must hear today is that God loves them. He loves them so much that he was willing to give his one and only son, to send his son to, to be a 12-year-old boy among us who increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor and with God and man. And this 12-year-old boy, he grew up among us and he, he began to teach us and he began to heal us and ultimately he died for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God, so that our sins could be atoned for. And then on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death with his resurrection so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the gift of a new life if we simply believe in him. Jesus invites all of us to come to him. He specifically invites the children to come to him. Won't we bring our children and our grandchildren to our Heavenly Father's house where they can learn how much our God loves them? Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became a baby in a manger and then as a 12-year-old boy, he amazed the scholars of, the, of his day with his wisdom and insight. And Lord, we know we can learn a lot from our children, and they can learn a lot from us. So Lord, help us to do all we can to help foster intergenerational relationships so that every child in this church that would know that they're loved by you and they're loved by us, that our church is a family. It's not a program. It's a family, this family of faith. It's a family that will never leave them nor forsake them, that we always will love them just as you have always loved us. Oh God, help us to be active in pouring into the next generation so they might know the great love that you have for us. They might have the assurance that comes in knowing you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we have a-